Hey guys, Merry Christmas. We haven't had a, uh, a Sunday after Christmas in a long time. I think it's about like seven years since the last happened, eight years since the last happened. So I'm sure you guys are all still recovering from your Christmas dinners, Christmas parties, you know. So uh, I just got a, a simple word for you today, um, hopefully to kind of give you some perspective as we move into 2022 and an urgency uh, in light and view of Christmas, you know. Uh, this past three messages I've shared uh, during this Christmas season, it was, it was called Upside Down Christmas. And one of the reasons I shared that was because I wanted us to, again, approach Christmas with the right mentality of how we see people. Because the way God sees people is not how we see people. God doesn't just value status or pedigree. He values heart. He values a heart that is willing to say, do to me as you would say, right, as it pleases the Lord. He does not value the idea of pedigree or status. And so oftentimes we think that God is looking for some sort of perfection or holiness or wonder about you before he can uh, be used by you or you can be used by him or you can actually engage with somebody. God doesn't work that way. He took a girl from a backward sta- uh, place, from a backward town, a backward girl, and he made her the mother of his son. Right? God uses people in that way. And so we need to learn to look at people the same way God looks at people. And for meaning of Christmas, I shared on Christmas Eve was this picture of that Christmas means salvation by grace. Christmas means that, that, that there is a fellowship with God, that Christ coming here is him saying, I have traversed all time and space to have a relationship with you. So the challenge is, how far are you willing to have a relationship back with him? What are you willing to do to have an actual relationship back with Jesus? Not just sit and kind of have an understanding or ethereal concept of Jesus, but what are you willing to do to have a relationship with him, right? So today, I want to share with you just a simple message called the aftermath of Christmas. And the the heart of this message is to help you give you a, a proper perspective of who your God is in light of Christmas and to have the urgency, to have the urgency for him in light of Christmas, So we're going to read a Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. Justin read it for us, but we're going to just read it again, verses 8 to 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. Listen now. Two things today, right? Perspective and urgency, okay? Perspective and urgency. Listen now. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Perspective. The angel showed up to these shepherds, and they were afraid. What were they afraid of? What were they afraid of? It wasn't the dark. Because they were already in the dark. They were in the middle of a field, in the middle of nowhere, watching over sheep. The best they had was a couple of torches, maybe a fire. They weren't afraid of the dark. They were afraid of the light. The glory of the Lord shone around them, the Bible says. And when the glory of God shone like that, it exposes them. 
It revealed something about them that led them to a place of fear. Right? See, when God shows up, people are terrified. The shepherds, again, weren't, they weren't terrified of the dark. They lived in the dark. They were okay with the dark. It was the light that scared them. And the first time this happened was in the Garden of Eden. Where, where did this fear come from? Where, where does this, this sense of fear happen, right? Why do we have this, this, um, this, this, this lingering uh, fear in our hearts, in our minds, in, in our soul? Where did it come from? The first time this happened was in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they had perfect relationship with God. There was no fear of God. They had no fear in their life at all. Right? They were walking with God. They were connected to God. But then what happened? The moment Adam and Eve decided to do what? To listen to Satan, to listen to the serpent, to listen to him tell him this. The moment Adam and Eve decided to be in control, the moment Adam and Eve decided to be the master of their own fate, right? to be the ones who were in charge of their own destiny, that was the moment they began to be afraid. Okay? See, we have bought into the lie that they have bought into. And this is why fear has now conquered our spirit and our life. Let me share with this with you, okay? This is why fear still kind of lingers in our heart because we have bought into the same lie that Adam and Eve have bought into. We have inherited that lie, and that lie is this. You need to be in charge of your life. The lie is you need to be the one to call the shots. The lie is because if anyone else calls the shots, even God himself, if anyone else calls the shot, you won't be happy. Your life will not be happy unless you are the one that's in control. You are the one that's considered to be the master of your life. You are the one who is the captain of your soul. It has to be you. Because if it's not you, you will not be happy. That's the lie that was bought in. But here's the problem buying into that lie. And we like it because we like to be individualistic. We come from a Western standpoint. We enjoy the idea that we're in control, that we are masters of our domain, right? But here is the issue when you begin to have this mindset, when you begin to buy into this lie that you are in control. The issue is this. Fear becomes part of your life. Fear becomes the natural reaction of your life because now what happens? Now you fear rejection. Because you have to earn your own self-worth. You have to earn your identity. You have to earn your sense of approval and affirmation. Think about this. Why do we, when we post on social media, why do we always got to make it so perfect? Why do we have to have the right angles? Why do we have to have the right lighting? Why do we have to make it look like that we have it all together? Because we need to make ourselves feel that we are in control and masters of life. If anyone thinks that we're just kind of like laid back or broken or upset or, or, or not in control, then we begin to have a fear of rejection. If we don't get the affirmation from people, we kind of lose it, don't we? We live for that. We build our egos on that, right? We get an ego trip when people affirm us. Like, wow, you look so good. Wow, look at your stock prices. Wow, look how much you make. Wow, look at your job. Wow, look at your car. We get this personal affirmation when people affirm us from where we are at. But then we also get the fear when we get rejected, when we go bankrupt when we lose a relationship, when things go bad, fear begins to be part of us because why? Our identity, our self-worth, our affirmation is now mixed into our ability to control. And we realize what? You cannot control anything. You realize you cannot control anything. And here's the problem about this. 
When tragedy happens, death, bankruptcy, losing your money in stocks, breakup, rejection, unemployment, it freaks us out because we realize that anything can happen at any time. COVID shows up, we have no control. Fear begins to dominate. Do you know why the shepherds were afraid when the glory of God showed up? Because it exposed who they really are on the inside. It exposed the reality. We always try to put up a front. We always put up some sort of facade. We always try to create some sort of image that we can project to people. But we know, we know, deep down inside, that oftentimes, more often than not, we are imposters and we're frauds. Have you ever tried being a job? Listen, have you ever picked up a job that you know you're totally unqualified for? Right? And you, and you, and you just like, you just fake it till you make it. Right? Until what happens? Someone you know is more qualified shows up and starts talking to you about that job. And then, you know, you're trying to sound like you're all like, I got this. Or, you know, and, you, and you're, 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 you're making yourself sound like, you know, you're all put together. But, you know, deep down inside, you're like, I'm a fraud. I'm an imposter. I wonder if they can see it. And the answer is they can. They definitely can can, right? When God comes near, we become more afraid. Because why? The light reveals the reality of who we are. The light reveals, his glory reveals who we truly are. All this time, you thought you were the master of your world, you get even more freaked out when we see the true master of the world. All this time you thought you were the one in charge, but when he approaches, his glory shows you that you are in darkness. His beauty shows you your ugliness. His power shows you your weakness. His perfection shows us our guiltiness. The light, what it does is that it reveals who you truly are. The closer you get to God. They were afraid, right? They were afraid. Let me me tell you this imposter syndrome, okay? I did mission work in Hong Kong back in college. Hong Kong, okay? Hong Kong. It's like the, the land of, you know, Bruce Lee and Kung Fu and all that stuff. You know what we did when we went to Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong for missions? We tried to gather people. And the way we gather people is we put on kind of like shows and dances. One of the things we did was we put on this Taekwondo performance, okay? Does, do any of the people in our group know Taekwondo? Not a lick, right? But we put on the gi. We had a black belt. Were we black belts? No, we were not, right? But we had a bunch of boards, and we just kind of like gathered a bunch of people, and we just like, and you know, boards were breaking, and everyone was like, wow, and all this stuff was going on. We thought we were pretty cool, right? Until what happened? We forgot we were in Hong Kong, right? We're in this gym, and we're doing all these things, and then the real uh, kung fu um, club walked in, okay? They were walking in, warming up, because they had to get to the gym next. And we watched them warm up as we were just out there screaming, like, you know, and breaking these boards. And all these kids were around us. And they're out there. They're just stretching. They're just warming up here, okay? Their warm-up was better than our performance, okay? They were, like, flipping around, doing splits, you know, twirling things around. And we sat there, and we're like, we are frauds, right? I wonder if anyone notices. And now I'm pretty sure they're looking over there like, ah, that's cute, you know? You're frauds. You know that. The imposter syndrome, right? And here's the thing about you as believers, as, as, as just followers of Christ. Sometimes we have this natural tendency to pretend to be something we're not. We tend to create some sort of identity and worth when deep down inside we're just wondering, 
were wondering, would anyone, if anyone ever catches us, they would know. If anyone ever really see us, they would know that we're just lying. We're lying as if we got it all together. We're lying as if we're, we, 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 we've made it. You know yourself better than anyone else. And I think you understand this. Right? And here is why they're afraid. And this is why you need to have a healthy perspective of God, too. His perfection shows us our guiltiness. Because I'm not just talking about your, your peripheral um, personal identity here. I'm talking about something deeper than this. I'm talking about the act that you are actually more wicked and more broken than you believe you are. You are more lost than you can possibly ever imagine. And the reality of God shows us that. The Bible says this. The Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. Right? The Bible says all sin is punishable by what? Death, right? And I know some of you guys are thinking, like, you know, I've been a believer for a long time, PT. I find that really kind of hard to grasp. Why is it so bad that if somebody disobeys you, doesn't listen to you, that the punishment is death, right? Like, why is that so, like, why is that so dramatic? And the problem is you have the wrong perspective. You have the wrong perspective of sin because you see sin through your eyes. Because if someone disobeys you or don't listen to you, you're not going to jump automatically to you're going to die, right? You might get upset. You might be a little bit bitter. But you ain't going to jump to you need to die, right? The problem is the penalty for sin is not determined by our measure of it. The penalty for sin is determined by the magnitude of the one who is sinned against. You don't have the right perspective because you don't see God. And so when you think about your sin, and you think about who you are, you're like, eh, I'm all right. Eh, I'm, I'm not too bad. But here's the thing. You understand this naturally, actually. You don't even, I don't even need to preach this to you. You understand this naturally. I'll give you an example. Let's say you were in the United Arab Emirates, okay? Just say that. You, just, you went to Dubai for a vacation, okay? You went in, and you got into a taxi. And let's say the taxi driver says, where are you going? And instead of telling him where you go, you decide to slap the taxi driver. It's like, right? What's going to happen to you? He'll probably kick you out of the car. Like, you say a few cuss words and then, you know, kick you out. It's like, don't come back into my car. Okay. Right? Let's say you decide to walk down the street and you saw a police officer in United Arab Emirates. What do you do? You say, I'm going to slap the police officer. Right? This is not America, okay? You slap the police officer, he's going to beat you up first and then arrest you. Okay? Appropriate because from a taxi driver to a police officer, you probably get arrested and get beaten up for it. Let's say you were just even more bold. You decide to walk up to the king of the United Arab Emirates and you slapped him in the face. What would happen to you? Execution on the spot. There is no like trial for you. You're just dead. They will, they will kill you on the spot. You understand that. That's why you don't go do that, right? You, you don't do something like that. But here's the thing. Our God is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. God said, if I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my respect? When you sin against an infinite holy God, you have to understand your punishment is nothing less than death itself and eternal damnation. We don't like that because we live in a culture now that don't like the word, don't like binary aspects anymore. You guys realize that? We don't say um, God and Satan. You know what's the new language we use? We use higher power, right? 
because that's more inclusive and it sounds a little bit nicer. We don't say angels and demons. That's too binary. We don't like that. So we say what? Spirits. A little bit more nicer. We don't say Christians and non-Christians. We say what? Children of God. It's very inclusive. It sounds very connected. But here's the problem. You know when we blur the lines like that, when we don't create binary solutions like that, it's because when we don't do that, we also take away the moral ability to judge right and wrong. We take it away because what is right, what is wrong? It's just you do you. The healthy perspective is that you understand where you stand before your God. The healthy perspective is when you realize that if God ever shows up, fear is the only thing that is the right response. Because when he shows up, the reality of who you are, what you've been hiding, what's really deep down inside is exposed. Who you really are, all that mask, all that facade, all the career, job, education, clothing, makeup, popularity, reputation that you have just layered upon yourself to give you some sort of weird identity, all of that is stripped away and the only thing left is the bareness of who you are before the living God. And before the living God, everything about you is exposed. And your reality, your purpose, your destination, your trajectory is death. They were afraid because the light exposed them for who they were. Shepherds weren't nice and cute like you see on the manger, guys. Shepherds were liars. They were crooks. They were, they were manipulators. They were just the, the trash of society. They were, the, they were like the, the, the people who just cuss up a storm. They're like the, the construction workers who, who just sit around and whistle at girls. They're not very like people. And when the glory of God showed up to them for some reason, what happened? They were afraid because it exposed them for who they are. If God was to come right now and expose you, what would he find? What would he find in your heart? What would he find in your thoughts? What would he find in your behaviors? What would he find in your actions? Do you guys know what I'm saying here? You got to have a healthy perspective of who God is. You cannot look at God and like, oh, God, oh, he's my homeboy. Sort of, right? Yeah, I mean, mean, you can use those words, I guess, right? But you got to have a healthy perspective before you say he's my homeboy. You got to understand your position before your God. You got to understand who he is before you. Some of you guys will say like, oh, yeah, yeah, Peter, I got this. I'm, I'm in a church. I'm, I, I know this. Do you? Then where's the urgency in your life? We are more urgent and freaking out about COVID than we are about the one thing. 100% of people are infected with sin. 100% will die because of sin. You can put you on your mask. You can get vaccinated. Get boosted. I have no judgment yet. Tape, get a tape, uh, tape measurement. Be six feet apart. I'm okay with that. But you got to have the right perspective. 100% of people are infected with sin. 100% of people will die because of sin. And the Christian has the most unique message in the world to offer. Jesus Christ. You can go anywhere for a sandwich. You can go anywhere today for a vaccination, but there's only one place you can go for the message of truth. It's where God's people are. You tell me you understand sin 
and have perspective of it, and there's urgency in your life, then where is it? I see more posts about fear of COVID than I do about fear of God. I see more reaction to news about COVID than I think about news about death of those who do not know about God. Where's your perspective? Is there an urgency in your life? So here we are. The angel shows up. They're exposed. Who they really are begins to come out. Their life, their action. Let me tell you something. In this world, there's bad people and bad people who know Christ. That's it. When you stand, everybody, the Bible says, everyone is is sentenced to die once and then face God's judgment. And when you stand before a holy God like that, your act of kindness here and there is not going to save you. Your act of kindness, goodness, is not going to get you anywhere. Because what you have done before a holy God, you have, it's not, don't think of it in your perspective. Think of it in terms of the perspective of a king. If you have disobeyed the king, if you have wronged the king, if you have hurt the king, the only response for you is death itself. And again, I think you understand this naturally, right? Let's say you burn down City Hall and you stood before a judge. And you ask, the judge says, hey, you, we got footage of you. Your fingerprints was all over the canister. You're guilty. What are you going to say? Well, look, that was 20 minutes of my life. The rest of my life, though, pristine. I am a good man. I am a good woman. I've, I even go to church. I give things away. I'm a very supportive person. Yeah. If he was a good judge, he would say what? That's cute. But you still burn down City Hall. And your punishment is this, period. In the same way, you stand before a holy God. You stand before a holy and infinite God, and he has called you in his word to live a life a certain way. He has called you to live in obedience. And you said, well, most of my life I've been pretty good. That's cute. But you've sinned against me. And justice must be administered. Do you have a holy perspective of God, guys? Is there an urgency in your heart when it comes to sin? Because the light will expose it. I know we try to cover it up with Christmas lights, decorations, presents, all these things for Christmas. But the true light of Christmas will expose it all. Where is it in your heart? Why is it that we do this every year and yet people still feel lost? Why is it that we do this every year, exchange, give, break our bank, and yet people still feel unsatisfied comes January? Why? Because deep down inside, they think they're their own masters. They think they're in control. They think they have everything. And when you have a life like that, let me tell you guys, you constantly live in fear because the truth will expose you. God's word will expose you. So here's my thing, okay? First, it says, they were afraid. But check this out. The angels response to them. So a healthy perspective is, yes, there needs to be a healthy fear of your eternal soul when it comes to God, your eternity when it comes to God. But at the same time, God is saying, I want you. 
I'm not asking you to be in fear of me because I hate you and I want some sort of weird you know, followers and subservient servants here. I'm asking you to have a healthy fear of me and to know that in spite of all that, I want you. I want a relationship with you. I've come for you. And the angel said what? Fear not. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. A Savior and a Lord has been given to you. A Savior and a Lord. Your eternal punishment, your recompense, your reality, your trajectory is death itself. But a Savior and a Lord has come for you. God has come to bring you home because that is not the result that he wants from you. That is not who our God is. The unique message of the gospel is that there is not about what you do, but that he is willing to come for you. Some of us would ask this question, but how can I trust him? How can, how can the life and death of a man 2,000 years ago affect me today? Why should it affect me today? Right? Why should it have any bearings upon my life today? That was 2,000 years ago. That was in some sort of weird Middle Eastern city town. Why does that have any effect on me today? Perspective, guys. Let me give you some, let me give you some thoughts here. How can a man born 2,000 years ago have an effect on me? And Luke wrote in verse 11, what? That this is a sign to you. Christ the Lord will be wrapped in cloths and manger. And this is really significant. So, right? so I want you guys to hear this. And it's gonna be, I'm going to share it with you through a, uh, an illustration. Two friends, 1929, at Oxford University, took a long walk. Okay? The walk went all the way to 3 a.m. in the morning okay, along the Addison River in England. One was a Christian, the other was not. An atheist. The Christian, we know him as J.R.R. Tolkien. You guys know Tolkien, right? Lord of the Rings, all that, the Hobbit, all that good stuff. The atheist was Clive Staple Lewis, or we know him as today, C.S. Lewis. And they were talking about Christianity. Tolkien was a Christian, and he was trying to show Lewis how important it was, the truth of Christianity. And this is what C.S. Lewis kept asking. He kept asking the question we ask. I don't know how the life and death of a man 2,000 years ago bear any relevance to me today. I'm a scientific person, he says. I'm an objective person, he says. I believe all that is real, what I can touch, what I can taste, what I can see, what I can hear, what I can feel. And when you die, you rot. That's it. That's what I believe. That's what I know to be true. And Tolkien, taking that, began to talk to C.S. Lewis. And he gave him two lines of attack that resulted in Lewis becoming a Christian that night, actually a theist, and then later on, two years later, he became a Christian. It takes time, right? This is what Tolkien said. Lewis was an English professor, and Tolkien was also a uh, professor, right? And, uh, and Tolkien asked him, what happens to you when you are in the presence of great art? He asked him, when you're standing before great art, great literature, great scenery, great theater, great movie, great love story, great paintings. Another way to ask it for you guys today, more contextualized is, because you guys, maybe we don't go to museums anymore, but maybe another way of asking is, what happens when you watch a good K-drama? What happens when you uh, play a great video game? What happens when you watch an amazing anime, right? What, what, what are the emotions and the feelings that get aroused out of that, okay? How does it affect you? What does it do to you, okay? And we know, we know 
that when you are put in a position to taste, see, and engage in something wonderful, beautiful, great, wondrous, what does it do? It, it, it creates a blissful longing. Don't you, you realize that? When you watch a K-drama and it's really good, don't you have that blissful longing of, like, love? Like, that's, that's the type of love that I wish would be there. You know, that's the type of future that I want to create. That's the type of adventure that I want to be a part of. That's the type of story that I want to write for myself. Right? When you play a video game and all that adventure and stuff that happens in it and all this stuff, don't you, isn't it a blissful longing? Like, man, I don't want this to end. I don't want this to be over. It, it, it drives in you a longing for you in your heart for something to continue. I made a better one. When you guys go to music festivals, right? Not the drugs, but the actual music itself, right? And you're like, you're like I don't want this to end. Doesn't it, I mean, I've heard people describe it as, it's almost like heaven on earth, Tony. I'm like, wow. And that, that line almost made me want to go. I was like, wow, I kind of want to go too, right? If it's almost like heaven on earth, that's where I want to be, you know? But it's that sense, that feeling of blissful longing when you experience something like this. It's like that, that the sense of, it's, a, it's, a, it's that feeling of a tune that you can't seem to place. A scent from a flower that you never experienced before, but you know it's there, and you feel it, and you wonder to yourself, there must be something more. There must be something more than this provincial life I'm living, okay? There must be something more than where I'm at right now. There must be something more. So Lewis, of course, being an English literature major or professor, he knew this because he reads the old English stuff. The myths, the legends, the stories, right? He understands the characters and the plays and the groups, and he, and he, and he understands how those things makes him feel as if they have meaning. It makes him feel that there's something more. But this is what he says. Yeah, those things are meaningful. Yes, those things, they arouse a desire. Yes, those things give me a thought of something greater out there, but they are just myths. They're lies, even if they're beautiful. And then Tolkien, Tolkien looked at them, Right? He said this, they're not lies. They're not. They're the conduit to something bigger. This is his, uh, his point right here that Tolkien was making. He was telling Lewis, how is it possible that you feel that there is something of greater reality, an underlying reality, a meaning and a truth, a love that, is, that, that nothing in this world can satisfy? How is it possible that you can have this underlying feeling if there's not something more to it. Later on, Lewis would, would, re would restate that argument like this, and I've shared this quote with you many times because I love it. He said, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. If a baby is hungry, there's food. If a duckling wants to swim, there's such a thing as water. If you have sexual desires, well, there's such a thing as sex. But if you find in your heart a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, the probable explanation is that you're made for another world. And so Tolkien goes on to say, you see the great books that you read, the myths, the legends, the games, the dramas that you watch, these things, they draw out of you desires, arouses within you feelings that you can't seem to place, longings that you can't seem to touch, and no, feeling that there must be something more. And he tells C.S. Lewis, do you understand Christmas now? And C.S. was like, what do you mean? Christmas is that reality coming now to us. 
that thing that you long for, that, that you hunger for, that adventure, that immortality, that truth, the legend, the myth, all of that that points to something more, that something more has stepped foot into our reality. The ideal of our life has stepped foot into the reality of our life. There's something more to it. What Christmas tells you is that you were right. This underlining reality of your heart, there is something more. There is something greater. There is an adventure. There is a love. There is a journey. There is a power. There is a greatness. There is a beauty that your heart has always wanted, and it is there, and it's found only in Jesus. It's found only in Jesus. And so suddenly, C.S. Lewis realized that 2,000 years ago, the life and death of a man, the resurrection of a man, has huge effect upon him now. It has an amazing effect upon him now. If Jesus is who he says he is, then he should literally change your life. There's only two response, guys, when you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ. When you, when you say, when, when it comes to Jesus, either you know who he is and you reject him, or you know who he is and you bow down and you worship him as your Savior and your Lord. Do you have the right perspective? Do you understand that this is real? Do you understand that the longing that you have in your heart for something more? Christmas tells us that more is real. It has come to earth. It has walked upon this earth. He has shown us that there is a way home. And here's the thing, here's the thing. He came as a savior because he knew that you are guilty, that you cannot do it by yourself. But he also came as a Lord so that why? So that you would obey but here's the obedience part. The obedience part is not because he wants to form you into some sort of weird mold. The obedience part is to prepare you for that great country. It's to prepare you for that great adventure. It's to prepare you for that something more that your heart has always longed for. You're not ready for it now. You can't ex experience it now. You're not able to embrace it now. you got to go through the sanctification process, the changing process, the molding process, the growing process. You gotta accept him as your Lord and obey so that he will prepare you for what's to come. See, if he is Savior, church, then you have to believe. And if he is Lord, then you have to obey. There is no room for neutrality here. There is no room just to sit here and kind of just like, eh, about it. You gotta have some sort of action. 100% we're all infected with sin. 100% you will die in your sin if not for Jesus Christ. My prayer for 2022 is that you step foot into this next year with the right perspective when it comes to your God. So that what? So that there will be changes in your life. The worst thing that can happen is that we stay stagnant where we are. If he is Savior, then believe. And if he is Lord, then obey. I'm pretty sure a lot of you would, with all indications, say, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. But is he your Lord as well? Is he your Lord when it comes to your relationship? Is he your Lord when it comes to your financial Life Is he your Lord when it comes to your career? Is he your Lord when it comes to your family? Is he your Lord when it comes to your own action? Is he your Lord? 
Because if he is, the only response is obedience. My prayer, church, is that 2022, we step foot into it with the right perspective of your God and the right urgency for God. God is King of kings, Lord of lords. When you sin against this God, the only response is death. And yet at the same time, this God, this King, this Lord, looks upon you and loves you, wants you, and will traverse all of time and space to meet with you, to be with you, to save you from that. To take, imagine the same illustration. You slap the king of the United Arab Emirates, and you're going to be executed on the spot. And the crown prince, the crown prince walks out and begs his father, do not kill him. Take me instead. Do not kill them. Though they deserve it, do not do it, Father. That's what Christ has done. He has saved you. Either you believe or you don't. But here's the second thing. If he, is the, if he has done what he has said he has done, then he must be Lord. And if he is Lord, then where is his lordship in your life? Where is it coming out in your life? Where are you focusing and growing to have his lordship center of your life. He has done all these things to have this relationship with you. How far will you go this year to have a relationship with him? Let's pray.